Okay, so the passage that Jamie gave me, next bit in Philippines is chapter two, verses 19 and 20, 19 to 30. And what I really felt God speaking to me about is about risking our all. Um, and that's interesting with this passage, particularly, uh, you know, towards the end of chapter two. To be honest, it's something that I didn't kind of skipped over, didn't really speak to me, but isn't the Bible great that it doesn't matter what verse we look at, everything speaks to us. And actually I had a really good time looking at this um, part of Philippians and I really hope that you get something out of it this morning as well. So starting with verse 19 of chapter two of Philippians, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So this bit is a really typical letter that we might have sent back in the day when we had letters, uh, you know, where we're just kind of making arrangements for the next time we're going to see them. And um, although there's lots of great stuff in this, it's the second part of chapter two that I really wanted to talk about this morning, verses 25 through to 30. So he's just talked about the fact he's going to hopefully see them, um, um, but he's, and he's going to send Timothy, but this letter was actually delivered by a chap called Epaphroditus. And verse 25 says, <clears throat> but I think it is necessary to send back to you, <clears throat> excuse me, Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. I have to admit, when I read this, or when I have read it, I thought Epaphroditus was a bit of a wimp, to be honest, but um, <laughs> not at all. Paul says some really brilliant things about him. Now, Epaphroditus was actually, um, commentators think, a church leader in Philippi. He was sent by the church to deliver a financial gift from Paul, who was in prison in Rome. Now, back in the day, uh, if you were in prison, um, the authorities didn't look after you at all. It was expected that your friends and family would feed you, um, support you perhaps if you weren't well, get messages to and from wherever you needed, everything had to be done by friends and family. Nothing was done by authority. So Epaphroditus's role uh, was to be um, a messenger from the church at Philippi, sending him money and attending to whatever other needs he might have. It's 800 miles from Philippi to Rome where Paul was. Um, whether you go by road or sea, it would have taken a really long time. And as it says in verse 27, Epaphroditus actually got ill 
had almost died. Now, interestingly, the church wouldn't actually have known about this in normal circumstances because obviously they didn't have post in those days. There wasn't normally regular communication between you know, cities 800 miles away from each other. Um, but they did find out. Now, Philippi actually, as we've heard from previous preachers, was an important outpost of Rome. Um, Roman people lived there. People who had been in the army often retired there. So actually there was a bit of traffic between the two places. Um, and also it's thought that Epaphroditus wouldn't have traveled to Rome by himself because he was carrying a substantial amount of money. It's thought that he would have had a companion with him as well to you know, make sure that he wasn't robbed. Um, so maybe that person then went back and gave a message to Philippi. But however they found out, they did. And uh, it said in verse 26 that actually the um, Epaphroditus church uh, were worried uh, about him being ill. And so in this little section, Paul's writing um, to the Philippians, amongst other things, because he knows that the church has been worried about Epaphroditus. And actually, Epaphroditus is worried that the church in Philippi is worried about him. And Paul doesn't want the church at Philippi to be disappointed uh, in Epaphroditus because you know, he didn't finish their mission. Okay, he got the money to them, but he hasn't been able to attend to his needs. And Paul doesn't want that church to think badly of Epaphroditus, you know, that somehow he's coming with his tail between his legs because he hasn't done all that he should have done. And actually, even more than this, he doesn't want the church not only to not be disappointed in him, but actually to honour him. In verse 30, it's saying about that, not only honouring him, <clears throat> but honouring people like him for who he is and what he has done. And it's this last reason, this view of Epaphroditus, that I really felt God speaking to me about, and I hope it blesses you as well. So why does Paul celebrate this chap who doesn't seem to have achieved a great deal, to be honest? Well, Paul says he risked his life. Now, some commentators think that because he would have been um, accompanied to Rome, um, Epaphroditus could have had the opportunity when he became ill to go back with that person who accompanied him and cut short his trip or maybe you know actually get home in time to be treated by friends and family he didn't have to be ill in Rome um, so you know he took that risk but even we don't obviously know whether that's true or not but even if that isn't true he still took a number of risks even just traveling to Rome 800 miles by, I don't know, donkey, foot, a bit of boat, is still a long way to go. And there's all sorts of risks to attend you on the way. He took that large sum of money, so he could have been robbed. And actually, even being a Christian in those times, especially being a Christian mixing with Romans in Rome, would have been a risk. Um, you know, if you think about... Uh, when Jesus was arrested, um, Peter around the campfire, it's thought, um, was sitting amongst Roman soldiers. And he was obviously so scared that he denied knowing Jesus three times. Um, and actually, you know, there was such 
hostility towards Christians in those days. They used to feed them to the lions, didn't they? Just for a bit of entertainment. So being a Christian was not a safe thing to be. And being a Christian in Rome must have been even more unsafe. And also associating with Paul. Paul was in prison because of evangelism for being a Christian and promoting that faith. Um, you know, maybe the Romans didn't like it because it was a sort of a threat to their empire. We don't know. But um, just Epaphroditus associating himself and attending on Paul's needs put him at risk. And obviously just being in a strange city, 800 miles away from home, you're going to expose yourself to illness and, you know, on that long journey, exposing yourself to risk. So there's an awful lot of ways that he risked his life to support Paul so that Paul could tell people the good news about Jesus, so that people themselves could know Jesus, know their loving God. Paul says about Epaphroditus, he describes him in verse 25 as a brother. Now that's quite the usual term that Paul used for fellow Christians. But in 25, he also describes him as a co-worker. Now he didn't describe people like that unless they really worked alongside him. So people like Timothy, Titus, Philemon and others were all described as co-workers, not just anybody, but people who really worked closely with Paul. And also he describes Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier, which actually apparently, commentators say, is a pretty unusual way. Paul didn't usually describe people that way. Now maybe it's because he was in Rome and he saw lots of soldiers around him, maybe there were guards around him. But for whatever reason, if you think about the fellow soldier, it does give you the idea of somebody who's battled like Paul has battled. Um, and, you know, it requires some effort on Epaphroditus's part. And I think speaks to some respect that Paul has for him. And he also wants the church to be joyful about Epaphroditus's return. And Paul wants him to be honoured and people like him. Why is that? Well, because Paul says that he has risked his life almost to death. He's given everything he has, all his effort and his will, so that people can know God. And that idea of having risked stuck with me. And uh, this is the word. I thought you might have a little, little bit of Greek practice this morning. I've got no idea how to pronounce that. Rochelle, Rusey, you linguists might be able to have a go. Parabolusaminos, do we think? Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> it, it is a word. So when Paul talks about risking, it talks about that word there, which apparently was never used in literature up until this point. It's not a word that Paul made up. It means to gamble. So he's not saying that Epaphroditus was out, I don't know, <clears throat> betting on horses or roll of the dice or something like that. It's sort of a metaphorical gambling, uh, talking about him risking his life to serve the purposes of God. And some members of the early church were really gripped by this idea and they formed a brotherhood, which they called the Parabellani. It's that other word on that slide. The idea of taking a risk for God uh, gambling your life for the sake of doing what you feel God wants you to do. And actually there's a chap called
called Cyprian, who was the Bishop of Carthage in AD 249 to 258, who was actually part of this group. While Cyprian was the Bishop of Carthage, there was a pestilence, um, terrible disease, where about 5,000 people a day died. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But obviously they didn't really have healthcare back in the day and they, the, the locals didn't look after the, um, the sick and the dying. They left them alone. And in fact, when they died, they just threw their bodies over the city gates and ran. And Cyprian led his congregation in this idea of Parabolani, of actually caring for the sick, even at the risk of catching the disease themselves. So going back to this passage, uh, and I want to pick up really on what Gary was saying. When we're talking about risking our life, we shouldn't have any condemnation about what we're not doing for God. That's not what God wants at all. In fact, if we have any feeling of condemnation, then you know it's not from God. Um, but I do want us to think about risking our lives for God, not literally. You know, I mean, we don't get fed to the lions these days. Um, but we are called to take risks for God, maybe risks of our reputation or finances or time. Um, you know, actually, we do risk those things because if we are Christian, then we are risking the idea that we put these things to work for God. And if it's not true, then we have wasted everything. We've wasted our time. If we give to God, we've wasted that money that we could have just used for ourselves. You know, if we are not respected because of our faith, then that could have been a waste of time if it isn't true. But of course, we think it is. And actually, people who don't believe in God, they risk stuff as well. If they decide that this life is all there is, then they spend their lives make, building wonderful houses, building fabulous careers, um, spending money, lavish holidays when they could, because they think there is nothing else. However, we know that there is. And, but those people who don't have a faith, they, they make their choices according to what they believe, and they take a risk as well. But, you know, we believe that there is a God, and that God loves us, and that he sent Jesus for us, and that he has a life, an amazing life for us. And he's the Lord of everything, isn't he? And it's been so good to worship and just bask in God's love for us and creation and everything he has planned for us. And if that is true, then it is worth risking so many things to, to follow the calling that he has for us. Now, because of what Jesus did, actually, faith is all we need. And that's already been said. We don't need to do anything more to gain his love, uh, to gain his acceptance. We're absolutely secure in who we are right now, doing nothing else but loving him. But actually, we have an exciting opportunity to live the life God wants us to live, to spread God's love and his message to people. Because if this is true, if God is here and loves us, then we just want to pass that on, don't we? We want everybody to experience what we experience. Um, and risk, I was thinking about this, is easier for some of us than others. I think as the industries, we find risk quite tricky. And perhaps because we're planners, which is a good thing. Tim's a great one for planning a holiday when he could do that. 
and he'd spend months and months sorting out a holiday, maybe a cottage in France or something like that, to make sure as a family we're in a nice place and, you know, it doesn't cost too much and it's a nice little jeet. Um, and that's really good and it is good to plan um, because it eliminates risk and it makes us make good decisions. But it can mean that when we do have to take risk, it's very uncomfortable. We um, have been recently trying to sell a table that nobody else wanted that we offered it to on eBay. And it's been really funny. You know, we're only talking about 10 or 20 pounds as to whether somebody makes a bid or not, but it's completely out of our comfort zone. Uh, but taking risk, you know, isn't just about overcoming uncertainty and fear. It's actually a really positive thing. It can be stepping out in something new and gaining untold rewards. And I really love hearing from you guys about risks that you've taken that make me feel a little bit braver. And I wanted to read these verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And that speaks exactly to what I was just talking about, the resources that we have and how we use them. And Philippines 3, 14, jumping ahead into the next bit of Philippines. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So if we want to risk everything, if we want to run that race and get the prize that will last forever, what do we need to consider? You know, what might be hindering our risking everything and gaining the prize? Well, I guess there's lots of things, but I was thinking in particular, well, money. You know, that is a god in our culture. And I don't want to talk much about it, but I, I do think that we need to make sure that we handle our money and make choices about our money that's guided by God. The main thing is, you know, to give a sum of money, um, to God that you've agreed with him regularly and I think the key thing is not what's left over you know not the dregs because actually God shouldn't be an afterthought in anything that we do whether it's money or, or anything else biggest thing I think is time which is so precious in today's society you know what are we giving our time to well family takes up a lot of time doesn't it and that's a really good thing you know to be to be supporting our family, you know, whether we're talking about siblings, parents, children, it's good for that to be our focus, but it's not good for that to be our whole focus. Um, you know, thinking about children, you know, Tim and I, we, we are in a season of life now where, um, you know, our children have left home and they are standing up for themselves. And there will come a time for all of you who have children where your children will be doing that. Um, and that's when we have to step away and see what we've invested in their lives and how that works out because you know our children can take that or not take it you know it's good to st we stand back and see the decisions that they will make and it's therefore important for children not to be our entire focus because although it's really important to put our best efforts into raising a generation to follow God we have to leave room for him to work and we, it's good to not be consumed to the exclusion of everything else 
it's important for us, for our walk with God, that they're not our complete focus, but also for them, you know, as an example to our children about the right priorities, that actually it's God first, even before them. And jobs. It actually is really important to work as unto God, and we all need to work to earn our livings to, to, to survive, don't we? But if it's consuming, all-consuming, and takes all of our physical and emotional energy, you know, then, then what are we building? Are we building something that will last? Are we building something that God will say uh, from Matthew verse 25, 21 and 23, well done, good and faithful servant? We do want to be known for doing a good job, but will we have been known for building the kingdom, having kingdom influence where we work? And if not, sometimes it's not possible, then we do need to think about not absolutely putting our last bit of energy into it um, because that won't last, will it? So it's, you know, it's just good to think about our jobs and the balance in our lives. And then I was thinking about reputation. You know, some of us in our work, with our family and with our friends, we face a bit of a hostile environment. It's not as bad as Paul and Epaphroditus, you know, we're, we're not going to be killed over it. But, you know, some of us, we do live under negative scrutiny, you know, what we say and what we do. And that shouldn't stop us from witnessing to others and being all that God wants us to be. And I speak to myself here. And I've really felt God speak to me about this, about actually not being limited by fear in that area because God will champion our cause. In the Psalms, on quite a few occasions, the Psalmist talks to God and says, you know, don't let these people um, win. Don't let them gain influence when they say, aha. And there's that little phrase, aha, which is a bit like, you know, when others delight in our misfortunes because if they see us get things wrong, um, or see that things aren't working well, then they kind of sneer and, and make comments behind our backs about us and our faith. And actually, we need to give that to God, focus on God, because he will champion our cause, but also his cause. You know, there are, I think there are some times at work where I've held back because I don't know how things are going to work out and I don't want people to think badly of God. And of course, that's ridiculous because God is well able to look after his own reputation. So that's something that I am working through with God and, and maybe you are. And I just love being part of the church because so many of you are so much further forward than I am in this. Um, I love hearing Diana Loomer's testimonies about when she's been chatting to people on the bus and uh, Diana Parsonage, who's gone on an amazing journey with God since I first known her and the adventures that she has uh, with her Eastgate training at the moment, praying for people and giving people prophetic words. Fiola's got a prayer room at her work, at school. She's regularly praying for colleagues. Liam doesn't seem to have any limitation on him uh, with regards to work. I know he does, but he doesn't let that stop him. And Rosie, Pam, Hopal, and you all know each other's stories well. And it's just really inspiring. You know, a lot of those people are in the public sector where witnessing and being who you are in God is, is, is 
you know, disapproved of, and sometimes there's sort of policies in the way. But it's so good to look at those people and hear their stories and hear how they are being authentic with God, bearing fruit in those situations. So they're a model definitely for me uh, and for you as well. So what now? So, you know, I think about lifting. Um, I'm just going to stop sharing. Oh. Good, that's it. So you just need to have a, you know, lift those areas up to God, you know, have a chat with him. You know, for me, I'm going to be talking about my, my concerns about, you know, not offending people. It's not so much about what people think about. For me, it's not wanting to offend people um, and not wanting them to think badly about God, which is silly, isn't it? But I'm, I'm talking to him about that. And for you, it would be good for you to talk to God about things that might be holding you back from risking it all. You know, whether it is your job or whether it is money or whether it's how you spend your time amongst your family and things. You know, does he want you to shift your attitude or actions in any of those areas? You know, how do you use your time and your gifting in a way that brings the kingdom of God into the areas that you live and work? Outside of the church, you know, work, friends, family, or inside the church, you know, in a couple of months time, we're going to be back in the building with lots of areas to serve and build the kingdom of God, which supports the growth of new Christians, you know, non-Christians coming in and established Christians. So it's good for you to think about that as well. And finally, I wanted to think about legacy. Um, Jamie and Tim have both talked about legacy and I'm in the season of life now where I'm beginning to support older family members. And I've been chatting to my dad, who um, is of his generation, he's in his 80s. So, you know, parenting wasn't a major focus for him. You know, he loves us, we love him, but, you know, he didn't pour his values into us because that wasn't the thing you did back in the day. His legacy um, is his job. He was an architect and he paints. Um, those of you who've been to our house, lots of the paintings around our house are painted by my dad. And he's had some exhibitions and he has been paid, commissioned by people to paint things. And it's really important to him. And a couple of years ago, he Googled his name and was really disappointed to find out that he is only listed as an architect, not as an artist. And that has really frustrated him because he's not saved. He doesn't have anything else but his job, which you know, doesn't bother him now, and he's not an artist which he wants to be. Whereas my stepsister Christine, who is saved, lives her life for others. Actually, sometimes to the point of irritating us all because she, <laughs> she likes to get involved in all of our lives, but she loves us so much and she's been such a support to so many friends and family that I have no doubt, as much as a human can have no doubt, of the reception that she's going to have when she dies because she has built a legacy of building into people's lives and that is going to last. It doesn't have to be Googled to find out how important she is. Everybody who knows and loves her knows, you know, the way that she has lived her life. She has a nice house, but that doesn't bother her. That doesn't interest her. She only cares about other people. And so likewise, we have wonderful choices about how we're going to live our lives, about how we're going to run our race. We have the potential to build something that will last, 
something Christians that we admire have done before us. Um, and, you know, we have that same opportunity. So just really hope you can reflect on that. And um, yeah, God bless you, church. <laughs>